So, questions. Question number one. This question was given to us by Satan. That's what the name says. It says Satan. You won't find it on your phones because, again, I archived it. So this question is, it's actually a really good one. This question has to do with the beginnings of history and of God's plan. I think it's actually a really deep question. Uh, It's actually one I've wondered myself. Maybe you have too. The question is, if Adam and Eve were face to face with God, why would they sin against him? They were able to see his glory with their own eyes, yet they were so easily tempted. I think that's totally a good question. Adam and Eve were face to face with God. Think about it. Like they're in the Garden of Eden and they're made and they're the first human beings and they see God. Like this is back, I mentioned this before, but this is back before kind of the separation of heaven and earth. This is when heaven and earth, God's space and man's space worked together and lived together and coexisted. So you've got these humans and they see God for all he is. I mean, that's, that's what I want. There's something in all of our hearts where we long to see God. We want to see him. We can't wait to get to heaven and see the face of Jesus and see God for all he is. And I've wondered that, like Adam and Eve, they, they saw God for everything he was. They saw his perfection, his power, his, his majesty, and yet they still sinned and they still made mistakes. So I've wondered about that. Um, I'm going to show you guys a video that I think is a good video to kind of set the stage for this question. That's from the Bible Project. So give me a second and uh, we will check it out. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, Avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even still today. But there is some hope because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great grandsons, this guy named Judah. 
And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and then it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snake bite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all, and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. So I love these videos. Uh, Many of you guys have seen that one before, but I just think they're so great because to me, they just paint the picture of how The story of the Bible is one big story and it begins with God and a family and sin, but it ends with Jesus and the whole story leads up to Jesus dying for our sins and forgiving our sins. And that's really what the whole story is about. So I think that's important context. So when it comes to this question of if Adam and Eve were face to face with the glory of God, how could they sin? There's, there's really no biblical straight answer for that. That question's never asked in the Bible. So really to answer it, I have to go to the Bible and look at the context. So what's the context? Well, I think an easy answer, first of all, is 
Adam and Eve were basically babies in the sense of their experience. Think of that. They're made fully man and fully woman. Like, it's not like God made them and they were babies and they had to grow up. It wasn't like a Muppet Babies situation. It was like, um, you guys don't watch Muppet Babies. Um, I did. I was born in the early 90s, late 80s. Anyway, though, well, I'll tell you later. Um, (laughs) But basically, Adam and Eve, when they're made, they're not made as babies and they have to grow up. They're made as a man and woman as far as body goes. But think about it. Mentally, their experience is like... Everything's new. Like, that's a tree. That's new. Never seen that before. Oh, that's a cow. I've literally never seen anything as crazy as a cow. That's crazy. That's where they were. So they had no context. Everything's new. And when you're young and when you're a baby, basically, you make a lot of mistakes because you don't understand. I remember Amanda, when she was growing up, um, my parents told her when she was like two, hey, don't stick your finger in the cigarette lighter. Because there's something about it. When she'd be in the car, she'd see that cigarette lighter and she just really wanted to stick her finger in it. She's like, that, that looks like that would be amazing. Like if I put my finger in that cigarette lighter, like all the secrets of the universe will come out and I will know everything and I will be like God and I'll have understanding. My parents are just like, no, don't do it. Guess what? She did it and she burnt her finger. It was awesome. But she didn't have the context. So, you know, they had no context of what evil is. Like if if you were walking through the forest and a talking snake like slithered down a tree and was like, hey, check out this fruit I got. You'd be like, no, I, I know this story. Like this is not a good thing. But they had never seen a talking snake offer them fruit before. So, so they're in this brand new world. And the Bible says that they were deceived. The serpent deceived them and he tricked them. And guys, that's how Satan operates. Satan operates as a trickster. He always questions God and he always will point at things that God has told you and say, hey, did God really say that? What Satan tries to do when the snake slithers up, he tries to paint God as restrictive. Think about it though, is God really that restrictive? Does he give Adam and Eve a list of 700 rules? I mean, think of Leviticus and think of all the laws that came later as a result of man's sin, all the safeguards and laws, the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Was that stuff even around? No, it was do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, be whatever you want. You're a child of God, you're loved, everything's perfect. There's just one thing, just the one rule, don't eat the fruit. And, and Satan says, did God really say that? Did he really say you shouldn't eat this? Did he really say like that you'll die if you do? You see, in that moment, Satan is inviting Adam and Eve to decide what is right and wrong for themselves. This is a quote by Bob Jones. He says, the devil did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal, lie, kill, or commit adultery. He tempted them to live independently of God. And guys, that is one of the most attractive things offered by the world today. It's live by your own morality. It's not choose your own adventure. It's choose your own right and wrong. And we constantly repeat this. The Bible is very clear with alcohol abuse, what happens, what drunkenness leads to. And, and I associate that today with, with drug abuse as well. And, and what we do is we come up with a million reasons why, is that really what God thinks? I mean, I mean, how far is too far? We test the limits. We want to rewrite what's right and wrong. We think of today with homosexuality, that's a big one. And if you struggle with that, um, I feel for you because I know that's extremely hard. I had several friends in high school who did, but culture around you is trying to rewrite what 
the Bible says is right and wrong. Sex before marriage, another big one. That's something where God clearly lays out in the scriptures, hey, I made man and woman to be husband and wife and to enjoy that relationship together. But society is constantly saying, why the heck would you wait? Like, why would you wait for that experience when you can have it not just with one person, but as many people as you want? And, and it's constantly being rewritten. Choose what feels right to you concerning greed or, or power or wealth. But with sex, with partying, with drugs, with all of these things. Listen, God says in the scriptures, he gives them a warning. It's not a threat, it's a warning. What does he say? He says, kids, you can have any tree in the garden. Like, I've made this world for you. Your husband and wife, like, everything's perfect. Like, go have kids. That's his first command. Like, go up, go make some babies. Like, everything's perfect for Adam and Eve. It's this great time for them in the garden. They've got animal friends. They've got each other. They're about to have kids and start a family. God says, you can literally, the world is yours. But there's just this one tree you can't eat. In Genesis 2, 17, what he says is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now that's not a threat. God's not like, hey, don't touch my tree. You touch my tree, I will straight up murder your face off, Adam and Eve. Like, what the heck? You come into my garden and try to eat from my tree? No, he's saying you can have any tree. It's not a threat, it's a warning. Like if, if I said to him, if I had a little kid, which I don't, but if I did, and I was like, hey, like let's just pretend, pretend Trevor's my son, and he's like one. And I'm like, my son, don't run into that fire or you will surely die. <laughs> and he just jumps into it. Like, but if I say that, am I being mean? No, I'm just informing him of a fact. If he goes in the fire, he will surely die. God's not threatening Adam and Eve. Sometimes we read it like that. He's warning them. Max Lucado says this, I believe ingratitude is the original sin. I believe if Adam and Eve had been grateful for the garden of Eden they had, they would not have been so focused on the one tree they didn't have. Here's another thing to consider. Were Adam and Eve perfect beings? That's what I thought. Like Adam and Eve, they were perfect. Everything in the world was perfect. But the Bible doesn't actually say that Adam and Eve were perfect. It says that they were very good. In Genesis 131, it says, God created everything, the heavens and earth, and he looked at it, and he said it was very good. See, only God is perfect. Only God is everywhere. Omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, all places, he is everywhere at the same time. Like, only God is perfection. So when he creates humans, he doesn't create them necessarily perfect. He creates them very good. They're excellent, good quality. They're well-behaved. They're not ruined. They're pure. But they're not all-knowing. See, that's the difference between God. God is perfect. He's all-knowing. Adam and Eve, they aren't all-knowing. They only know what God has allowed them to know, and that's where the temptation comes in. They want to know more. You know, human nature is naturally open to the dark side. I know this because I have been all around the world, and I have performed puppets all around the world. Most of you guys know that I've done the Iggy show, the stupid iguana puppet. So I was like, this, yo. And... Yeah, I do that guy. And here's the thing. I've done him all over the world. I have performed Iggy in Russia, in the Czech Republic, in Germany, in Hungary. I will tell you, every country I've ever been to, no matter what language the kids speak, literally, I've got that puppet out, and within 
two minutes, all the kids start punching it. They just run at it and they just start decking the puppet. I'm just like, oh, what are you throwing at me? Like they just, they'll smack it. That's like, why? It's a talking animal here to bring you joy. And your inclination is, it's because we're sinners. It's because naturally we all have sinful nature. Now think of it. Adam and Eve, the question is, if they saw the glory of God, how could they sin? Well, well think about other people who are in the same boat. Moses. Moses saw God's glory, not as much as Adam and Eve, but Moses went up on the mountain and talked to God. And God spoke to him in this loud, booming voice. God gave him the Ten Commandments. God actually allowed Moses to see a glimpse of his glory as he passed by. Was Moses perfect? No. Moses had a temper. Moses had temper tantrums. There was one time where he comes down the mountain and he's got this fresh set of God's rules. He's got two tablets, not iPads. He's got literally stone tablets. And he comes down and he sees people worshiping idols and he just chucks God's commandments on the ground. They break in a million pieces. He had a temper. There's another time he's out in the wilderness and God's like, Moses, I prepared, I prepared this rock in the wilderness. It's going to be crazy. The people are thirsty. I want you to just like touch the rock and pray over it. And water is going to come out of the rock. And it's going to just, people are going to drink from it. It's going to be amazing. Well, Moses goes and people are complaining. And Moses just loses his temper. And he takes his staff and he goes, you shall not pass. And he hits the rock and like water comes out. And it looks like Moses like hit the rock so hard that water came out. So God doesn't get the glory. Moses messed up. Think about David. David is a guy who experienced God's glory. He's a guy who, he's this young shepherd boy. He's, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. He's got courage, yes, but he's got God on his side. And there's this giant named Goliath, this 10 foot tall dude, terrorizing Israel. And what does David do? With God's power, he's able to defeat the giant when no one else in the army could stand against this beast. David survives running from the king. When the king's trying to kill him, God helps him. And while David's living out in caves, God protects him. God makes David king and establishes him as like one of the first kings of Israel. He's a guy who experiences God's glory, but he makes the same mistake as Adam and Eve. He looks, he's on a rooftop and he sees a woman bathing and he says, I want to choose for myself what is right and wrong. Just like Adam and Eve, just like Moses, just like David. Think about Samson. Samson is a man who's given amazing strength. He's this young guy who from an early age, his parents dedicated him to God and said he will serve God his entire life. And he took this Nazarite vow, which meant he had to grow his hair out super long. He could never cut his hair. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He was supposed to completely abstain from alcohol to be just completely set apart for God. He wasn't supposed to... Uh, like touch any dead bodies. There's all these like rules. He, and, he, and he kept them for a while and God gave him amazing strength. But then what happens? Some hot girl shows up who's working for the enemy and she says, Samson, tell me your secret. And he tells her, oh, it's my hair. She chops off his hair. Like these people all were followers of God who had so much potential and yet they gave in just like Adam and Eve. So then it brings up the question, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? That's a big one that I've heard. Why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Like if God's so loving, why didn't he just create a world where everything was perfect? Why were Adam and Eve allowed to even sin? That started the whole problem. What if God just didn't allow them to sin? Then we'd have a perfect world. Well, first of all, you should be thankful because none of you would be born. Because think about it. If Adam and Eve never sinned, like the whole course of human history would be completely different. And there'd be so many people who never lived and never died and we all wouldn't be here. So be thankful for that. But it's a serious question. 
There's kind of two answers that come up. One is the free will answer. I lean more towards the free will stuff. Um, So the free will answer, and just so you know, different Christians think different ways on this. Um, So I'll give you guys my opinion. The free will answer is basically that God created man and he gave them the ability to choose. You can choose right and wrong. So it's almost like God accepts this responsibility for putting them in the situation. He puts a tree in the garden and he knows what's gonna happen but he gives them the choice. There's another view, which I don't really agree with, but it's kind of a more Calvinistic view, um, which is God put the tree in the garden because that was the story he wanted to tell. See, in, in this view, God controls everything. And so God created Adam and Eve and he put a tree in the garden and basically God wrote the script that they would eat from the tree because this is the story God wanted to tell. I think that the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. You see, I very much believe in God will, but I also believe God is in control. And I believe what the Bible says, which is God's ways are higher than our ways. Here's what I believe. I believe the Bible says that we were created for a relationship. Can you have a relationship without free will? For those of you guys who've ever dated, if your boyfriend or girlfriend was forced to date you, would that be a fun relationship for anybody? No, A true relationship comes with choice. In Genesis 3, 6, they make their choice. God gives them a choice, and it seems like an easy one. Just, hey, you can do anything, be anything, like just live with me. I'm God, I'm amazing, and I love you, and I wanna give you the whole world, just don't eat that one tree. It wasn't like a huge list, and it was like this daily struggle of like, oh, I really don't wanna sin. It was just literally don't eat from that one tree. In Genesis 3, 6, they choose sin. But their ability to choose is essential because think about it. Without choice, there can't be a true love relationship. Think about it. If if God were to be so controlling that he were to stop them every time they tried to sin, think about it. Eve goes for the fruit. God says, nope, don't do it. Nope, don't do it. Satan would keep coming and keep trying to tend and God would just show up and he'd be like, nope, don't do it. Like, I'm not gonna let you do it. I'm not gonna allow you to do it. What would happen is eventually... Adam and Eve would be a people of necessity and not a people of relationship. It would just be God would want them around for his human project and he he would be so controlling that he would constantly be watching them and constantly making sure they weren't sinning and maybe if Adam and Eve sinned too many times, God would just scrap them and start over with new humans who wouldn't sin because God would be a control freak. That's not the way I see God in scripture. There's this show I watched, uh, Scotty got me into it called Wayward Pines. Has anyone ever seen that show? Am I the only one? Okay, well, me and Scotty and Brooklyn and Amanda have all seen it. It's crazy. So basically, it's, it's this, oh, I, are you guys gonna watch it ever? Do you care if I spoil it? Raise your hand if you care. You're never gonna watch it. Okay, so basically, um, there's this guy who believes that the world is ending. He's a scientist. And so thousands of years in the future, he freezes a bunch of humans and basically he plays God. He builds this little town and he has like a hundred humans that he has live in the town, but he controls everything. He controls everything. He watches them with cameras because to him, they're just pieces of the puzzle. To him, all they exist for is to have babies and to run the town so that humanity can continue. It's kind of this twisted view of God. He actually, in the show, he kills people who don't listen to him. Like the the humans who rebel against him, the humans who decide to do things different than the way he wants them to do it, he murders them. 
He has them executed in the middle of the town square. It's this gnarly show. But to me, that's the way things could have been with God. If God didn't give us choice, and basically God just decided to kill humans if they sinned and constantly destroy them, unless they, that's not a true love relationship. You see, God has the power to stop Adam and Eve from sinning, but he won't do it because he's loving and he's good. And because God, in his mind, in his beautiful mind, he believed, which is true, that humanity needed a choice to be in a true love relationship, and so he gives them that choice. So why doesn't God prevent sin and death? Like, think about it. Why doesn't God prevent sin and death? That's a big question. To me, I think it has a great answer. You see... I think God is telling a story, but I don't think that he's pulling all the strings. I don't think that God controls you. I don't think that God made me slap Trevor right now. I don't believe that. Yeah, Satan made me do it. Um, I believe that God is writing the greatest love story of all time, and it's called history. And it's his story. You see, I believe that God put us on this planet, humans. And God had this idea of a love story. This is the best way I can explain it. God and humans were to love each other and be together, but there had to be a choice. And so God allowed humans to make their choice. And once they made it, this disease of sin and death came into the world. But God said, I love humanity so much that because this is my love story and I'm writing it, I am going to enter into the story myself and I'm going to suffer and die so that I can take the punishment that humanity deserves, that I can absorb all the evil into myself so that I can free them from the prison of their sin. That's a great love story. That's the story of Jesus and it's the story of human history. God has this long-term plan. His, God's plan is eventually he will destroy sin forever. And he creates a people, he loves them, and he wants them to love him back. He won't force them, and he knows that they'll break the world. God knows that we'll break the world. But he plans to save us, even if it means he has to die. And this is what's awesome, is because of Jesus and his death on the cross, we have something to look forward to, which is heaven. And in heaven, the the eternal kingdom, heaven and earth, new earth, new heaven, everything renewed and made wonderful. In Revelation 21 through 22, we read verses where it says, there'll be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. Basically, that tells us there'll be no more sin because death, sorrow, crying, and pain are all the result of sin. In Revelation 21 through 22, it also says nothing impure will enter through the city gates of heaven. 